great over this. And uh, decided we needed to go and start fresh and anew again. So as we're starting fresh in the Old Testament, we are going to start fresh in the New Testament as we start in the book of Matthew. Now, the book of Matthew starts off with genealogy, and today's message is called Genealogy, Joseph, and Prophecy. Now, in the study of genealogy, it's easy to breeze through the names. You can kind of get a stuck and struggle on how to pronounce certain of them. And, you know, it almost seems like you can, you know, you're wasting your time and you forget their importance. Now, if I told you that my son was up here on drums, who he was a third generation Rodman, um, that wouldn't mean much necessarily. However, you might think to yourself, well, okay, only three generations, that's kind of new. But now, what if I told you that my father, his grandfather, had changed his last name from Rodriguez to Rodman? Ah, now we would know a little bit more about my heritage. You would know a little bit more about our background and everything along those lines. You see, he lived in a time that was very discriminatory and as such had to deal with things like that. Would go in for trying to get employment and they'd be like, why are you here? We're expecting some Puerto Rican. Get out. And those are the times that he dealt with. And him not wanting to, to have his children or his children's children ever deal with that again changed his last name to Rodman. So hence, um, also, the other thing that's kind of neat about it was the Rodriguez family was not necessarily walking with the Lord. But in that change, my father is saved, I'm saved, and my children are saved. So God can take something like that and completely turn it around. And it's a beautiful thing. And a lot of times in the Bible, when you see those name changes, it's for those very reasons. Now, as we look at Joseph, we can also, you know, I think a lot of times we don't nearly give him the credit that's due. We judge him by today's standards. So his wife becomes pregnant before he knew her. What's the big deal? Ladies get pregnant all the time nowadays, right? You know, but think about it, okay? Now, well, let, let me back this up. Um, I'll, I'll go even so far as to bring in my brother into the situation. His wife went ahead and conceived out of wedlock. And what I mean was they were married and she cheated on him. Yeah. But to his credit, he went ahead and gave her grace and mercy. And he raised up that child as if it was his own. So when we look at Joseph and think, well, okay, so he was dealing with a little thing like a pregnant wife. I don't see what the big deal is. A lot of times, like I said, I don't think we give him enough credit. And lastly, when we look at prophecy, you know, we look at the major and the minor prophets and all the predictions of the future. And, you know, I, a lot of times just think to myself, wow, they got it so right. And actually, I really shouldn't be amazed, should I? Because if God is in the equation, well, of course, everything's going to happen according to his perfect plan. But, you know, when you look at that and you actually look at the predictions that they made, the prophecies that they made and how they came out right and the odds of that happening, making these predictions hundreds of years ahead of themselves. I mean, let's take a look at today's weathermen. Our meteorologists, right? Here it is, they've got education, they've got training, they've got technology at their fingertips. And yet, when they try to predict the future, I'll say they're pretty good guessers, but outside of that, as far as accuracy, and trying to predict something even hundreds of years in the future, trying to 
predict something that has never been or existed, like crucifixion. And yet they nail it every time. So today, as we look at genealogy, Joseph, and prophecy, we begin our journey in the Gospel of Matthew, getting to know our Lord and Savior just a little bit closer. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I love the fact that we can open up your word. I love the fact that we can look to the truth of it, that we can look and we can follow genealogy and Lord and truly be Bereans and just pick apart your scripture and see the meaning, see the beauty of it, see how all of the pieces are going to fit together if we just merely look a little bit deeper. And today, Lord, as we go into this journey, I pray that we would get to know you a little bit closer, that we would be able to uh, just truly marvel and admire the good work that you have, that you have done, as well as that which you will do in each and every one of our lives. So God, know how much we love you. We bless you. We thank you. And it is of Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we start off, I have to admit, um, I am not the best at all of these names as well. So I'm going to go ahead and let my narrator pronounce them for me. The Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Judas and his brethren, and Judas begat Phares and Zerah of Thamar, and Phares begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nasson, and Nasson begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon, of her that had been the wife of Urias. And Solomon begat Reboam, and Reboam begat Abiah, and Abiah begat Asa, and Asa begat Josaphat, and Josaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Ozias, and Ozias begat Jotham, and Jotham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias, and Ezekias begat Manassas, and Manassas begat Amon, and Amon begat Josias. Josias begot Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begot Salathiel, and Salathiel begot Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begot Abiud, and Abiud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor, and Azor begot Sadok, and Sadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliud. And Eliud begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Mathan, and Mathan begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So, all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are fourteen generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are fourteen generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost, 
Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So we go ahead and we start off, and it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Wait, wait a second. Hold on, Adam. Isn't he the son of Joseph? So why, why are we looking here and we're saying the son of David and the son of Abraham? No, he was not their son, but he was their descendant. Through the bloodline of Christ was born into a kingly lineage of both Abraham and David. Now, why is this important? Well, I'm glad you asked. Now, the Lord promised unto Abraham in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, Though thy seed shall all the nations, through thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. It was understood that through Abraham's seed, the Messiah would come, the one who would be a blessing to all the nations on the earth. So anyone who was seeking to lay claim to be the Messiah would first have to be able to prove that he was a descendant of Abraham because God had made that special, that special promise. Now, later on, God goes to David that, and said to him, promised him that he would build David's house on that seed and would sit upon the throne forever. So we read in 2 Samuel seven twelve, when your days are fulfilled and your rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. So, from that promise, David understood that God was promising that the Messiah should come through his line, through his genealogy. And after David, there are many prophecies that refer to the Messiah as the branch out of the root of Jesse. And of course, he is referred to as sitting upon the throne of David. So it would be necessary for anyone laying to seek claim as the Messiah to be able to prove he is a descendant, not just of Abraham, but also of David. Now, it's interesting to me that the Jews no longer have their genealogy records. They no longer have that with the de destruction of the temple. And it is completely lost, all of those books and all of those generations. However, it's not a problem today, is it? Because here, we have Matthew, 
And we already know who the Messiah is through the line of David and through the line of Abraham. Now, you say, wait a minute. Now, this is the genealogy of Joseph. Now, if Jesus was virgin born, then why would it be necessary to trace Joseph's genealogy? And it's true. When we get to verse 16, it says, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Notice it does not say Joseph was the father of Jesus, but he was the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Now, if you're familiar with the New Testament, um, there is another line of genealogy that traces the genealogy from Christ all the way back to Adam. And as you read through the genealogies in Matthew and in Luke, you'll find the differences there. In Matthew's genealogy, we're tracing the, uh, the line of Jesus back through David, through Solomon. But as you read through Luke's genealogy, you'll find that it traces the genealogy um, uh, Actually, not of Joseph, but of who? Mary. Exactly. Of Mary. She goes back to David and goes back to Abraham, but she comes through the genealogy and the son of Nathan of David. So that Mary was of the tribe of Judah and a descendant of David also, but not through Solomon and his line, but through David's other son, Nathan and his line. God pretty much has all the bases covered, don't you? Now, but in Matthew's gospel, Joseph is actually a descendant of David through the kingly line. And as you read through the kings of Judah, you'll find that listed in the descendants uh, of Joseph and that actually he was of royal seed of David and in as such heir to the throne of Israel. However, there's a real problem with that problem is Joseph uh, being king of Israel or him trying to, to attain that uh, goes back through the kings in which includes Jeconiah. Now, Jeconiah, of whom the Lord cursed through Jeremiah the prophet, saying none of his seed will, would sit upon the throne of Israel forever. And we read that in Jeremiah 22.30. So that kingly line that came through Solomon was disallowed from sitting on the throne because of Jeconiah's sin in, uh, that we read in, in Jeremiah 22. But Jesus, being the son of Mary, still has claim to the throne of David. Not through Jeconiah, who was cursed, but through the descendants of Mary. So if Jesus were the son of Joseph, he could not reign um, the throne of David because of that curse in Jeremiah 22. Being the son of David, though, through Nathan, a different line, he has the right to the throne coming from Mary. And yet, as far as the newest Jewish nation would be concerned, they'd still go ahead and recognize that Joseph as a kingly line, thus Jesus being the eldest son of Joseph, would then be right or have that right to the throne. So the Lord put the two things together, and it happened in quite an amazing way. Now, 
There's something else that's interesting that I told you. You could sip, I told you you could skip through the first 17 verses of reading all the names, and it can be laborious, and uh, you know, you're not familiar with the names, and you spend your whole time just trying to pronounce them, and then it all becomes kind of meaningless. But rarely were women included in genealogical lines. But if you trace this back, there are four women that are mentioned. Now, we live in a patriarchal society as well as it was back then. And yet these four women are still mentioned. Who were they? They were Thamar or Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Now, if you say these names, the first thing that comes to mind is, oh, these are such virtuous women. That's why they must be in the genealogy. I wouldn't necessarily say that. Or at least that's not the thought, first thought that would come to my mind. But let's take a look at each one of them, shall we? The first woman mentioned here is Tamar. And in the verse, in verse 3, it says, And Judah begat Pharis uh, and Zarah of Tamar. Okay, Matthew 1.3. Now, Judah was the son, or had a son, who married Tamar. And his son died before they had any children. So... His brother did what was acceptable, according to the culture then, and did the right thing, and he took her as his wife. Now, he also died before they had any children. So, Judah had one more son. Now, the obligation was to go ahead and marry that son to her so that they could raise up the seed and have descendants. But Judah already having two wives, or excuse me, uh, two, two sons die. Now, I don't know if it was a result of her cooking, but I mean, it was suspicious, right? Both of them kind of, but he wasn't too apt to go ahead and let this third son go ahead and marry her. And he kept stalling. He kept saying, oh, you know, my son, he's, he's too young. He's too immature. And he kept stalling and putting her off and putting her off until finally it became quite obvious to, Th- um, uh, to Thamar that Judah had no intention of marrying off his third son to her. So she puts on the attire of a prostitute, goes out and sits in the path. And when Judah came by, he propositioned her in which she accepted. And she said, what will you give me? And he said, I'll give you a goat of my flock. And she said, well, you don't have it with you. And he said, well, I'll give you my ring as a guarantee that I'll send back the goat. And so he went unto her and she had a veil on. So he didn't recognize her. And she ended up becoming pregnant by Judah. Now, when the word came to Judah that Thamar, his daughter-in-law, was pregnant, he said, put her to death. Then the next day, the servant came back with the goat, and the gal was gone. So he said to the people around there, Judah went out, and he said, where's the prostitute that was sitting here? And they said, there's no prostitute that was here. So the servant came back and said to Judah, I couldn't find her but I've still got the goat. So Judah was like, okay, let's let it go then. Well, remember he found out that Thamar was pregnant and he ordered her to be put to death. Then Thamar goes ahead and she sends, what do you think? The ring. And she says, the man who owns this ring is the one responsible for me being pregnant. So Judah was trapped. But isn't it interesting that Thamar appears in the royal lineage, the seed of David that God chose Thamar 
even through these inappropriate circumstances. And you can read about that more in Genesis 38, 12 through 26. Now, second is Rahab. And when the children of Israel came into the land, they had to go ahead and conquer all these territories. And the first one they came to was Jericho. And they sent spies. Do you remember the story? They sent spies into Jericho. And they found out that there were spies in the land. So Rahab went ahead, took them in, and hid them in the thatches of the roof. Um, After she was done, she went ahead and before lowering them over the wall and saving their lives, she said, the only thing that I ask is when you come through, please save my family, save myself. And they said, surely we will. Just go ahead and hang a red rag or a red rope out your window of each and every one of your family members. And when we come through and we conquer it, we'll make sure that they're spared. So here it is. She does that and they spare her. Rahab then goes on to marry Boaz, or as we know, Boaz, or as we know, Boaz. Now, Rahab did not come from the line of Israel, but she was of Jericho, a Canaanitess, a prostitute uh, that the Lord also puts into his line. Now, the next one mentioned is Ruth, who was a Moabitess. Now, and under an eternal curse of God. A Moabite could not come into the temple of the Lord to the 10th generation, or basically forever, (laughs) as God had placed a curse on Moab. Yet the grace of God, Ruth, becomes the wife of Boaz, who is the son of Obed, whose son was Jesse, whose son was the king of King David. And so God brought Ruth, a Moabitess, into the line. And we can find that in the book of Ruth. Then the fourth woman that is mentioned, or should I say, who is not mentioned, because it doesn't mention her name, does it? It just says, by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Now, who is this that we're talking about? Bathsheba. Exactly. Okay? So Bathsheba is the fourth woman that is brought into this record. And she is the one who had the illiterate... illegitimate, thank you, relationship with David, the husband who subsequently had a conspiracy, kind of put Uriah to death, sticking him out on the front lines and everything like that, and then becomes David's wife. And from her was born Solomon, who became the king of Israel, and through the line of Solomon, Jesus is, or excuse me, through that line of Solomon is the kingly line. So the Lord goes ahead and he puts into the genealogy, the line of Joseph, these four women in order to display the grace of God, in order that any of us through our failures can still identify with God's perfect plan of grace and love for men. None of us are excluded. God has already included in his plan people who have made a mess out of their lives, people who have had great personal failures, people who have had immoral stains in their lives, and still God uses them in his total plan. And thus, it encourages me, because I have stains, I have failures, and yet God can still use me in his plan. So exciting to see. Also, as a side note, each one of these ladies, they were Gentiles, just like each one of us and yet still grafted in to God's family. Now, as we read through the genealogy, 
there's a bunch of names that I could say. I could say David or Solomon, or I could say Bathsheba, and instantly there would be the recognition. We'd know exactly who I was talking about. But as we read through this genealogy, it comes to a name spelled A-B-I-U-D, Abiad. Now, we read about Abiad, and we remember in Genesis, he helped Noah build the ark, right? No, that wasn't it. No, 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 that's right. He was in Exodus. Yeah, we read about him in Exodus, and he was right there with Moses helping all the Israelites escape. No, no, that wasn't it. I know Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. He was a friend of the prophet Isaiah whose mother's uncle's aunt's uncle, once removed, was, was friends with them, and he helped them. Where is he in the book? He's not in there. The only time we ever read about him is in this one line, this one genealogy that his name is mentioned. Do you ever think to yourself, Lord, I've been a good wife. I've been a good husband. I've raised my kids. They know the Lord, and they've done well. I've lived a good life. But what is my meaning? What is my purpose here on earth. I haven't discovered a cure for cancer. Haven't made it and landed on the moon. So why am I here, Lord? Did you ever think maybe it's just to have your name as one single line of importance, something of importance of something so incredible to come? Don't succumb to the enemy's lies. You are important to God. Even if it's just a footnote, even if it is just as a fleeting moment, as an infinitesimal part of God's very big and perfect plan. Amen? Amen. So let's go ahead and take a look at verse 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So this is a little transitional verse, and it's necessary, a necessary transitional verse, because he's giving the genealogy to Abraham to show that he comes from Abraham and from David, but yet Jesus Christ was not born of Joseph. And he's going to explain why in just a moment. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ happened like this. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, that is before they had physical intercourse, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. So we read that in verse 18. Now Luke's gospel gives us a little further enlightenment of how the angel Gabriel came to Mary and informed her of the process when she said, how can these things be seeing I've not had relations with a man? And we read that in Luke 1.34. The angel told her the process by which the child would be born, and we'll study that when we get to the Gospel of Luke. It is necessary to understand that in a culture, that basically in this culture, we had three relationships that a couple had. The first was the engagement, the second was the espousal, and thirdly was the betrothal. Now, 
the engagement could take place at any time in a child's life. So literally, you could have a daughter that was uh, two years old, and I could have a son that was three years old, and we could go ahead, and they would go ahead and be arranged. We would set up that arranged marriage, and they would go ahead and be married. So in essence, in kindergarten, the girl, little girl could look over and go, yep, there's my husband. <laughs> but that was the engagement. And it wasn't until later, a point of maturity in, in the, their lives, when they could actually get married. Uh, it was usually the early teens, usually about 15, 16 years old, when a girl was married. And they would go through a year of what was called espousal. They were really separated from each other as far as the relationship was concerned. And um, with that, it would be, we could equate that to what we would call the engagement today. Um, they accept the arrangements that, that the parents made, they accept each other, and then they set themselves apart for a year in preparation and planning for the marriage. After the year of espousal, now, during the year of espousal, they were considered, in a sense, to be married. If you wanted to go ahead and, and break it off with, the, with her, um, you actually had to get a writ of divorce. Um, you were considered to be married, but it was a year in which you dedicated to each other without physical relationship that espousal period. Um, and again, only could be broken through divorce. Now, after the year's espousal, there would be the betrothal or the marriage itself. So there, first of all, the engagement. Secondly, the espousal. Thirdly, the betrothal. And it was during this period that Joseph and Mary were espoused. They were committed to one another without the physical relationship. So now we have a very difficult problem developed when Mary becomes pregnant. Not good. Now, under Jewish law, um, this constituted, even though it was still during the uh, espousal period, even though they had not uh, come together, it was still considered infidelity or adultery because they were in this period of espousal. Now, under Jewish law, she could be stoned to death for her betrayal of Joseph. And so, this is the problem that Joseph faced when Mary, who was no doubt an extremely beautiful person, uh, not necessarily physically, but spiritually, a young girl who was so pure, so righteous, that God chose her above all others to be the vessel in which his son would be brought forth onto this, brought forth, forth onto this earth. He gave her such a high honor that from this time on, all people would call her blessed. And so we refer to her as the blessed mother of Jesus. Joseph, no doubt, was in turmoil. He loved her, but he didn't know what to do about it. He, he really could not, uh, in his mind, stand the fact of publicly disgracing her uh, by declaring that he was not responsible for the child. And to see her stoned by angry mobs, he couldn't bring himself to do that either. So he basically was thinking to himself, well, maybe I can ship her off someplace, put her away somewhere privately, at least so that she can be spared. And Joseph, while he was going through these things in his heart and in his mind, notice what it says. It says, Joseph being a just man, or there's another translation, being just a man. And I love that. Because you know what? I'm just a man. You want to see my dirty clothes on the floor? Just a man, ladies. Dirty dishes in the sink? Just a man. Yes. 
But him being a just man, he does not want to do this to his wife, to his espoused wife, Mary. And many times Joseph is kind of pictured as like this oaf, that he's this man. Um, but, but you have to remember that he's also a man that is in contact with God and the Lord speaks to him. Evidently, Joseph died rather in his early years of Jesus, uh, in the life of Jesus. Because after their return from, uh, from Egypt, the only other reference to him is of John, in John 6, 42. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter? And no doubt, they, he was there in Nazareth for a time, but the time uh, that Jesus began his public ministry, Joseph had probably already departed the scene. So then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and willing not to make her public, a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared uh, to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take your Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus. So because of the espousal, she was still considered his wife, though they had still not yet been betrothed. So we read about that in Matthew 20 and 21. Now, it says here in Matthew 20 and 21, it says, she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call him his name Yeshua or Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That interpretation of Yeshua, it means Yahweh is salvation. So his name applies his mission that he is to be our Savior. Now, when names mean something in the Bible, and, you know, names mean something in general. So, for example, my name was Adam. And when you look at the name of Adam, it means the firstborn, okay? And also, it means red. So, like, of the earth that Adam was made out of. Well, guess what? Um, I am the firstborn in my family. And also, because of my mother's uh, lineage, her very fair English-Irish skin that she bestowed upon me, anytime you leave me out in the sun, I turn red. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> but it's a beautiful thing that as we read through here, that even just Jesus' name says that he's the Savior. Now, um, I love that God's word has meaning behind it. Jesus was, is, and will always be our Savior. Now if we can just convince our Jewish friends. But it's okay. They'll know and see it one day, won't they? But not yet. Not yet. Now, all this was done in order that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying in Matthew 1, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Notice Matthew accepts the words of the prophets were actually inspired by God. One of the things the New Testament recognizes all the way through is that, that divine inspiration of the scriptures. As we read, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God in 2 Timothy 3.16. Peter, in referring to the writings of David, said, And David, by the mouth of the Holy Spirit, spoke, saying, 
And we read that in Acts 1.16. The New Testament teaches and recognizes that God was behind the writing of the scriptures, that God is actually the divine author of the word. So here again is another confirmation that it might be fulfilled, that which was spoken by the Lord and by the prophets. Now, Jesus fulfilled hundreds of Old Testament prophecies. Many of these involved the circumstances surrounding his birth. For those of you taking notes, note the irrefutable predictions of the Old Testament versus the New. So, the Messiah would be uh, the seed of a woman, stated in Genesis 3.15 and fulfilled in Galatians 4.4. The Messiah would be the descendant of Abraham, as we talked about, Genesis 12.3, and fulfilled Matthew 1.1. The Messiah would be of the, a descendant of Isaac, from Genesis 17.19 and fulfilled in Luke 3.34. The Messiah would, become the, uh, would be a descendant of Jacob, as stated in Numbers 24, 17, and fulfilled in Matthew 1 and 2 and 2, 2. The Messiah would be from the tribe of Judah, from Genesis 49, 10, and fulfilled in Luke 3, 33. The Messiah would be of an heir to the throne of David, as stated by Isaiah, and fulfilled in Luke 33. We go on. The Messiah would be anointed and eternal, as shown in the Psalms, and fulfilled in Hebrews. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, as shown by the prophet Micah, and fulfilled in Luke. The Messiah would be born of a virgin, as stated from Isaiah, and fulfilled in Luke. The Messiah's birth would trigger the slaughter of children, as stated in Jeremiah, and fulfilled in Matthew. The Messiah would also come from Egypt, Hosea, and fulfilled in Matthew. Folks, these are just 11 that I picked out of the scriptures. And yet, hundreds of those are being fulfilled. All of those being fulfilled. I did a young man's study one time. And in it, to prove the point of how difficult it was to go ahead and predict or prophesize, I asked them, I said, when we come back next week, what's the weather going to be like? And I had them each write it down. I had them write down the temperature. I had them whether it was going to be clear, whether it was going to be cloudy, whether it was going to be foggy, rainy, whatever it was, I had them all write it down. The next week came by. I even gave it a shot myself. I wrote down what I thought it might be. Now, we live up here in the mountains. We know the different seasons that we have. We know that it gets foggy along the rim. We know that during the winter, we can definitely expect some, uh, a little bit of that white stuff and all those wonderful Flanders coming up to visit us. We can predict these things with pretty much certainty. However, how many of us do you think predicted precisely the temperature, the weather, everything? Zero. None. I think all of us were off by about 10 or 15 degrees on the temperature. It ended up totally dropping for what it was. It was a cloudy, yucky day when it had been a beautiful spring that we were going through all of this. And none of us got it right. I think the closest one was Evan Summers. He was, he was probably, uh, probably about five, uh, I'd say 15 degrees off, but he predicted it'd be cloudy. Not foggy like it was that night, but cloudy. So I'll give him that. But you look at all of these many prophecies, you look at all of these that were fulfilled by Jesus, and we need to look no further to know that he is our Lord and Savior, our Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Isn't it wonderful that we don't have to go on blind faith, 
that we can just sit here and look and read through the scriptures. And time and time and time again, God goes ahead and shows us. Thank you, Lord. The prophet Isaiah declared in chapter 7, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, when we get into translations, um, it's often difficult, and I have difficulty with a lot of modern translations, um, because many of them try to do away with the deity of Christ. Uh, there's many religions. If you go ahead and read the Bibles, you'll see that God is not capitalized, that there's a little g that they go ahead and substitute in it. Um, one of those is the revised version of the Bible. And when you go back into the prophecy, prophecy of Isaiah, it says, the Lord said to King Jehoas jo jo Josaphat, um, ask a sign and I will give it to you. And Josaphat said, I will not ask a sign. And the prophet said, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall be called Emmanuel. And we read that in Isaiah 7, 14, which being interpreted is God with us. Therefore, the Lord was promising that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. However, there are the scholars that have been out there and over the years, uh, much like our Pharisees and Sadducees, um, who themselves kind of set them up as a biblical, them, themselves as a biblical authority. And in doing so, there was one called uh, Genesea. He was the one who wrote a, uh, this huge dictionary and translated the Hebrew word Alma as not virgin, but young maiden. So, to these translators, of course, wanting, you know, to water things down, making it young maiden. Behold the Lord, I will give you a sign. A young maiden will conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name uh, Emmanuel. Is that really so miraculous? A young maiden getting pregnant? It happens all the time, right? Yeah. But you see, when people do that, when they mess with God's word, when they don't truly go ahead and look at the meaning behind it, well, and do you want to know the reason why he, he went ahead and did this? He didn't believe in miracles. So that was it. It's not a virgin. It's not a virgin birth. It's not a miracle. Instead, it was just a young maiden. So I, I tell you, when you go through your scriptures, be careful and beware of the versions that you have. And there's little things that can make the accuracy so much more. But remember, always go back, okay? Always go back. Um, you know, when, uh, King, uh, when Alexander the Great came through, here it was, he was a great influence and uh, took the Hebrew Bible and translated it into Greek. And do you know what word they used um, when they translated Alma? Do you know what word they used for that? The word for virgin. It wasn't young maiden. It wasn't anything else, okay? It was virgin. It was a virgin birth. It was a miracle by our God, okay? And a lot of times you'll find that, okay? Look, look at the Hebrew. Look at the words. Look at the entomology of it and dig and find out for yourself. And that is the only thing it's going to do is grow you closer to the Lord and truly just back up all of his scripture. So it's interesting. The Greek scholars figured it out. Hebrews knew exactly what word to use. So, no young maidens are going to be conceived, but 
a virgin, virgin birth. Then Joseph, he awoke from his sleep, as did the angel of the Lord, and bid him, and took his wife Mary. Took Mary as his wife. Whoa. You see how I just did that, okay? That totally changes things, doesn't he, right? <laughs> took his wife Mary, or took Mary as his wife. Two totally different things. No virgin birth there. Um, and he did not know her until she had brought forth. Come on, get back. There we go. Verse 25. Until she had brought forth her first son and called his name Yeshua. Now, understand, the dogma of the Catholic Church is of the perpetual virginity of Mary. Poppycock and bogus, I tell you. <laughs> it is the invention of man. And just remember, I heard it once said that religion is man's attempt to please God. Don't get wrapped up in things like this, folks. Because clearly when we read on, what do we read? Did Jesus have brothers and sisters? Yeah. Mary and Joseph had a very natural and good uh, husband-wife relationship, okay? And the only reason why man does this is he tries to deify things like that. He tries to deify Mary. So, um, Jesus once said, beware the dogs. So if there's dogma, beware. So folks, as we go through the Gospel of Matthew, we go ahead and we start to get to know Jesus just a little bit better. Get to know his lineage. Know where he came from. Know that when people go ahead and try to argue with you, try to argue about the fallacies that are in your book, you can clearly say that, you know what? It's perfect. It's truth. And God, through his Holy Spirit, wrote every word. And it's right there. Are you prepared to meet Jesus? He's coming. He's coming. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much that you do give us the opportunity to get to know you just a little bit closer, a little bit more intimate, to get to know your truth, that as we read through your scriptures, Lord, truly just etched in it, in every detail, we can go ahead and know how perfect your plan is, God. Lord, thank you. Thank you so very much for this opportunity. Lord, I just continue to pray that you be, it would be with each and every one of us, that as we continue to be Bereans, that as we search your word, you show us our truth again and again. And Lord, we could put our faith and trust in you. We thank you. We love you, Lord. And it is in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.